0: Uh, but here, ironically, uh, we're going through, if you're new, we're doing a, a book of the Bible each, each uh, Sunday. So right now, we're in the Minor Prophets, we're on the book of Zephaniah, and it is just, these Minor Prophets, it's like, it, it, it's almost as if they're writing it for us today. It is scary accurate, and, um, uh, it, well, it, it applies now. Now, um, we're on the book of Zephaniah. I love the name Zephaniah. It's an incredible book. Yet, chapter 1 and chapter 2 is some of the darkest, most depressing, uh, scariest, judging prophecy in all of Scripture. Like, it's, just, it's, it's, it's dark. There's just no way of getting around it. God is judging Not only Judah, he's judging the entire world, and it's as if we are going back to Genesis 11, where he's just going to wipe everybody off the planet. Humankind, animals, birds, bees, you know, this is is start all over. That's the initial language. So, um, and it's also very apocalyptic, too. So not only uh, is he addressing his current situation Current times, uh, you could even, I mean, it's, he's talking about the end of the world, folks. So it, it could easily apply to us. Uh, end time prophecy guys, uh, they, they'll read and reference Zephaniah as well. Yeah. So instead of uh, me reading this dark literature, I'm going to tell you a story instead. Would you like to hear a story instead of, uh, instead of uh, reaching for your Prozac this morning? Yeah? All right. I don't know, you might change your mind after I tell the story. But the story starts like this. It's very, uh, it's a cold, rainy night. And there's a, there's a house, uh, it's, a, it's a poor family. And the house is kind of, you know, it's kind of, be, it's kind of a being put together piece by piece. And so, you know, some windows are boarded up and, and some are okay. And it's just kind of a, you know, it's like a work in progress um, there's a fire in the fireplace because there is no central e- heat and air. So this is a poor family, yet they are, there's a, it's a celebration, so there's extended family there as well. And so everybody is in the living room around the fire, again, because there is no central heat and air, and uh, yet they are enjoying each other's presence. And as they are celebrating a scream, a screech, is heard from another room. And the mother recognizes this this terrifying scream as her child. Now moms, you know this, right? Like moms can, I think it's a frequency thing. Like they know when their child is really in pain and then they know when their child is fake crying right? Do you, know the, do you know the difference? Yes. So you know when it's real. You know, it's like, I don't know, I'm not a mom, but it's just like the, like the mommy DNA just clicks on and it's just in mommy mode and they can just almost sense it. And so this mother knows, this mother senses that her child is in a lot of pain and she rushes into a dark room and she scoops her child up off the dark floor and she feels the warmth of her child's blood coming over her arms and she is just in complete terror but it gets worse because as she's embracing her child, she doesn't know where the blood is coming from. To make matters worse, a big man, a strong man, grabs her child out of her arms, rips the child out of the arms, and runs out of the house. And the mother, covered in her child's blood, just falls to the floor. Because she can't do anything about it, and she is screaming that her child has been ripped out of her arms, and the child gets loaded up into a beat-up old Maverick, and they goes, and it just takes off into the darkness, and they, and he pulls up into this really cold, foreboding building with those. Remember the yellow lights. The blinking yellow lights that you see them in horror f- films, right? So he goes into this cold room and as, as he's walking in another man grabs the child and they put a, they, they bind the child, they put a, like a straight jacket on the child and they put him on a table, and they grab a knife and they begin to cut the child's head open. And you thought, you thought Halloween was over, right? What? Well, the child was me. The child is me. And, I, and uh, so right here is my scar on my hairline of when the doctor had to cut my head open and sew my scalp back together. You see, it's about perspective. It's about, it's about interpretation. It's really about knowing what's going on because... The child was me, and as you could imagine, I was a naughty little boy, little rambunctious, little troublemaker. I like to, uh, you know, push buttons, and so the family was over, and my cousins were around, and I thought it would be a great idea to, as I got out of the shower, to run around and flash my cousins with the (laughs) towel, right? I know. Now, I know. Like 16-year-olds shouldn't do that, no, I wasn't, I was, (laughs) I was, uh, I'm not sure, how old was I, Dad? I was three years old? Okay, so I was three years old when I thought it'd be fun to run around and flash my cousins with my towel. But here's the thing, as I was, I had my hands like, and I remember this, you ever have those memories when you were a child and they're just so vivid that they just get burned into your consciousness forever? And uh, probably some of the story I'm making up. But this part, I do remember. I remember my hands being crossed, and I had the towel. And I remember stepping on the towel. And I went face forward like this. And I hit the corner of, the, of, of a brick, uh, of a brick uh, ledge right here on my head. Cracked my skull right open. And my dad grabs me. We go to the emergency room, like, like my story. Foreboding building, yellow, flashing lights. I know. Come on. Um, And I I remember being put into a straitjacket. Have you ever been put in a straitjacket? Have you ever been confined where you can't move your arms and legs? That claustrophobic feeling. I remember that terror in my mind to this day. And I remember them trying to hold me down. Now, I thought it was the worst thing in the world, right? I couldn't figure out why they were doing this to me, why they had me on this cold table, why they were torturing me. But why did it go on? It was because the love of a father saved my life. Do you see? And that is what chapter 1 and chapter 2 is about. Because the people of Israel their purpose, their goal, their calling is to save the world, to be a blessing to all nations. And at this point in the game, they are so immature. They are like three-year-olds running around the nations, flashing everybody. They are horrible. And when we read it from our perspective, The Babylonians are going to come and rip them out of the promised land, out of their homeland. That seems like it's a mean and vindictive God, but it's not, folks. It's a loving God because he loved those people. He loved the call that they had. And the problem that they had is that they had become arrogant. They had become haughty. Chapter 1 says that they were sacrificing to the Baals that not only were they fertility gods, they were gods of money. So it was all about material gain. It was not about spiritual connection. And not only were they uh, sacrificing to those fertility money gods, they were sacrificing to the god of war, Moloch. And if you wanted to be successful... How many people want to be successful in your business or your ventures? We all want to be successful. We don't want to be losers, right? But in order for them to be successful in war and successful in business, it required a sacrifice. And what is the ultimate sacrifice? It is to sacrifice your firstborn. So the Israelites were, set they were killing their own children in order to be successful in battle. And God was not okay with it. They had gone so far from what they were supposed to be, that God had to save them. And Babylon was the doctor. It's tough, huh? So that's what's going on. I hope that helps us get it into perspective, because again, this is uh, the darkest literature out there. But you see, what's amazing about the Bible amazing about God, the way that he communicates. He communicates a lot better than we do. Some of us have struggles reading the scriptures. But if you see it as contrasts, God, God loves to communicate to us through contrasts. Do you know why hell is so bad? It's because heaven is so good. We like to motivate people by not going to hell, but the better motivation is getting people to want to go to heaven because heaven is undescribable. Heaven is uh, its a million times better than the worst description of hell in the Bible or any weird, bizarre painting by Hieronymus Bosch or uh, any horror movie that you could possibly think of. There is nothing that compares to the glory of heaven. And the goodness of God. And so we need all... Well, the, the reason why all of this dark stuff is in here is just to contrast the goodness of God against the evil of this world and the, and the, the, the reality of hell. The, the reason why it's in there is we need the contrast. And Zephaniah, again, it is, is one of the most powerful contrasts. And if you were to invite your, your friends to read the Bible and you told them to read Zephaniah, they're, they're going to they're going to be lost unless they really hunker down and they read through the whole thing. Unless they, that's a small book. It's it's not that, I mean, it's not that hard to read. But, I mean, if you start reading, you're like, man, I don't know about this God thing. I don't know about Christianity. This Judeo-Christian God, he seems kind of mean. But what we really need to see is we need to see the contrast because that's what it's really all about. God's heart is in chapter 3. God's character, his his nature, the the very cornerstone of the theology of the goodness of God is in chapter 3. So you've got to read the whole thing. To really understand the character and nature of God, you need to read the whole thing. You need to read the whole book. You just can't cherry pick this thing. You've got to understand it from It's from its context. You've got to understand it from its fullness. So let's actually read some of it. Chapter 3. And we're going to go to verse... Verse 9. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder from beyond the rivers of Cush. Uh, Okay, real quick um, nerd note here. Okay, uh, rivers of Cush. Cush is Ethiopia, south of Egypt. And uh, back in chapter 1, it tells us who Zephaniah is. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, So some scholars think that that might not actually be a real person, but that might actually be referencing some of his ethnicity. Son of Gediah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah during the reign of Josiah. Okay, so Hezekiah, as you remember, is a king. And so some scholars believe that Zechariah is the great-great-grandson of of Hezekiah, so that he's he's royalty. Yet there's a lot of references in here to Cush, so quite possibly he was a, a black Jew, or maybe uh, maybe mixed. So he might have been um, part Ethiopian, part you know Jew. But we do know that there is a remnant in Ethiopia. There are, there are Ethiopian Jews. Isn't that a cool thing? And so. We don't know because this is the only source that we have. So it's speculation, but it's a pretty strong speculation that Hezekiah was probably uh, half African. Isn't that, that, I, think that's, I think that's cool. So there's your nerd note for today. All right. From beyond the rivers of Cush, which would be the Blue Nile, way up into Pasadena, way up into, into Ethiopia. It's a long ways away from Israel, basically, is what they're saying. My worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. Other speculation uh, that the Queen of Sheba, her son, I forgot the son's name, but her son stole the Ark of the Covenant or replaced it with a model. Sorry, I'm nerding out on you again. But, um, but they, from the time of King Solomon, they established a Jewish remnant in ethiopia quite possibly they had the ark and then some people actually believe that the ark of the covenant still resides in axiom in ethiopia who knows we don't know we'll ask indiana jones where it's at okay but the idea is that that remnant in ethiopia is going to come up and actually praise god and maybe they did when jesus was born who knows On that day, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs that you have done, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Sound familiar? Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave you with the meek and the humble, who trust in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. Will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O you daughters of Zion, and shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save, and he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The sorrows for the appointed feasts I will remove from you. They are a burden and they are a reproach to you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. And at that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes. Can I get an amen? I will restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Now, this is not only is it in huge contrast to chapter 1 and chapter 2, it almost seems like it's a contradiction, but it's not. This is God's heart. Because the reality of it is is that chapter 1, the the darkness in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is actually required. You see, there is a dark side of love. There is such a thing called tough love. You got teenagers? Can I get an amen? There is such, I mean, and if you, are, um, if you are a parent, you know this from experience that there are times when love is dark because you have to inflict pain on your child in order to save your child. And it is, it's, it's the hardest thing in the world to inflict pain on your child. They don't understand what's going on. Israel didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the the pain that they were in. So that dark side of love is required for us to actually grow and and actually actually to be mature. Now the good news is is that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, so the Babylonians aren't literally going to get us anymore. That's some good news. Like there are new ways There are new ways for the Holy Spirit to work in our spirit through the power of Jesus Christ. Like, the Holocaust, that wasn't God. Because Jesus had come. The Holocaust was the devil. We are required to undo the works of the devil. I hope you see the difference there. There's a huge contrast, there's a a major difference between the Babylonian exile and the Jewish Holocaust. There's no way of getting around it, folks. The Babylonians was the hand of God. It was the judgment of God. It was God's tool. It was God's discipline. Are you ready for this? It was even God's love, but the Holocaust was not. The Holocaust was pure, unadulterated, evil that we allowed to happen. We're not allowed to do that anymore. It happens still to this day, but we're, as believers, we're required to, be, to initiate God's justice to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. All right. Does anybody have uh, old-school King James on you? All right, so uh, would you mind reading? Could you read out loud for us? Okay, would you read uh, chapter 3, verse 9? Nice and loud so we all can hear. difference. Sometimes when I study, I read different versions at the same time. If there's a a difference, if there's something that pops out to me, I study it. This is one that I studied. So my NIV says, I will purify the lips of the people. And, you know, initially when you read that, you might be thinking to yourself, all right, uh, I will make them not to have a potty mouth, right? (laughs) Isn't that what you would generally think? You know, make sure that they don't say bad words. I will, may, I will purify their lips. But that is really not what's going on here. In reality, what King James and some of the other translations says is that I will give them a pure language so that they can communicate with God, so that they can be united. As believers, this is kind of a big deal because, um, well, my prayer life stinks. It's okay, I guess. I pray every day, talk to God, give him my requests, my petitions. I give him praise. I give him thanks. But how often do I really get the download from God? Not often as it should be. Why? It's because I don't speak God's language. Because my lips aren't pure. Uh, Isaiah had the same experience. Isaiah, remember Isaiah? Isaiah, chapter six, verse five. Uh, he was a, you know, he was a priest. He was a prophet. He was a good guy, right? He knew his Bible. He prayed all the time too. And yet, when he has a, a religious experience, actually, by, my, by the way, it is my desire that everybody in this room has your religious experience at some time in your life. You need to experience the depth and the deepness of God's presence. And he needs to rock your world, rip your skin off. You need to be blown away by God. So, Isaiah had that experience. Uh, good old church boy has this experience where he is in God's presence throne room experience where he he has no idea what's going on there's these really weird angels flying around they're saying holy 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 he he's like he sees god in his throne he's like what the, the whole god's training he doesn't he doesn't he can't he doesn't have words to explain what he's experiencing not only does he not have he, he literally doesn't have words he says woe to me for i am a man of unclean lips do you think Isaiah had a potty mouth? Like probably the extent of his, his, of his unclean lips would be, oh, gosh darn it. Right? Dang nabbit. And he stubs his toe. Oh, <laughs> golly. Right? This is a man of God. He's not going to say bad words. It's not the 21st century where pastors say bad words. So that's not the issue. The issue is he had no language to communicate to God. Did you see that? Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve had the pure language that we're talking about now. Like, they could easily talk with God. We have to get to this point. Um, You know. When we say that the motivation should not be hell, the motivation should be heaven, right? Don't you agree? The motivation should be the carrot, not the stick. When you step across that line of faith, when you accept Jesus into your heart, heaven begins then for you. It, we have... It is so important that we get this into our head that, that heaven is here and now. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven resides with inside of mankind. And Jesus said, uh, "When you, I am standing before you. I am the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. And every time I perform a miracle, every time my glory is displayed and manifested through signs and wonders, you are experiencing a bit of of heaven and so if you stepped across that line of faith you have stepped into heaven heaven starts here and now and we get to experience it here and now quite honestly not as often as we should but we can god does whatever he wants to do like i don't know he'll bust into your life and he'll show you heaven it's an amazing thing. It's that, again, it's back to that religious experience. He'll so show you heaven. One time I was driving in my car, and God decides he's going to show me heaven while I'm driving. I'm like, God, leave me alone. I'm trying to drive. Had to pull the car over. But other times, I mean, I didn't ask for that. I wasn't praying for that. I wasn't interceding. I wasn't reading my Bible. I didn't have a, enough uh, scriptures memorized to experience heaven in, that, in my car. It just happened because God decided to mess with me. <laughs> but you see, there's other times where character is required to experience heaven. Perseverance, discipline, dedication is required. step into the holy of holies there's a reason why the priests had a bell around their ankle before they walked into the presence of god because if uh if they did if they were not priests of character they did not pull their weeds they did not ask for forgiveness of their sins before they walked in there they died and they they had the guys had to drag them out on a rope So sometimes, again, God's not going to do that to us. Maybe he will. I don't know. But the, 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 just don't take God's presence for granted. Sometimes you've got to work for it. Do you want to experience heaven now, or do you want to continue to live in hell? Right? How many people are living in hell? Everything's falling apart. You hate your life. Work. Yourself into experiencing heaven on earth, and I get. I it, it begins with the conversation. It begins actually. Again, this sounds cliche at this point, but it actually begins with a relationship with with Jesus, and not a religion. Cure, clear communication. Clear communication with God with pure language. The Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel, uh, Genesis eleven. Uh, t- t- the after the ark came in, people communicated. They all shared the same language. Uh, French psychologists and scientists, they all believe that there is a, uh, a shared human language deep down inside of our, in our, our collective consciousness. Interesting, huh? That's not Christian talking. That's, that's like, you know, science talking. Some people think that Hebrew might be that language. Because Hebrew is the most versatile in all languages. Interesting, huh? Um, Anyway, Um, but when when humanity got together and they communicated clearly when they shared one language, they built the Tower of Babel very quickly. And God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're up in heaven like, oh my gosh, look what they did. Like, they're going to be on the moon in a couple hundred years if we don't slow things down a bit, right? So this is the dark side of love. He brought confusion into the masses, so the language is split apart. He divinely brought confusion because he loved mankind, because they were moving too fast. Could you imagine giving your three-year-old the keys to your car and just say, go for it? That's what's going on. Could you imagine if the Romans had nuclear bombs? Do you see? Do you see how good our God is? He's watching over us. He's protecting us. If Babel would have continued, we, who knows how advanced we would be right now. I think what's scary about our civilization right now is that we are advancing so fast we can't even keep up with our cell phones. It's crazy. Crazy and we're gonna put somebody on Mars soon. I'm super excited about that. So, sorry. Hopefully Jesus won't come back. It's like, Jesus, can we just put somebody on Mars before you come back? I used to, when I was single, I'm like, Jesus, can I just get married before you come back? Remember that one? So I will purify, I will give them a pure language. This gets uh, Isaiah begins to get this pure language. He understands God's heart, he understands God's desires. And, he, and God says, This is what's going on. Uh, who should I send? Isaiah says, I understand what you're saying. Send me. I hear your voice, I understand the pure speech. I can speak life into a dead situation. Cool, huh? Here I am, Lord, send me. So how's your language? Like, really, how's your language? I'm not talking about your potty mouth. I don't care about that. How's your language with God? It's your prayer life? Same thing happens, Acts 2. The remnant. The remnant of uh, Israel's remnant. It's a group of people of different ethnicities, they all decided to get together in the common room upstairs. And this is what God didn't like jump into their car like he did with me. They worked for it day and night for a week or so. How long was it? 40 days? It was 40 days. It wasn't a week. It was like over a month. They met together continuously in a horrible, boring prayer meeting. Ah, prayer meetings are horrible sometimes. They're so boring because nothing happens because you have to listen to so-and-so ramble on forever and it's driving you nuts. But unless you do that, you won't receive tongues of fire. Unless you're willing to pay the price to move yourself into God's presence, he's not going to pour out tongues of fire on us. So boring prayer meetings, they quite possibly are required. And what happens At that day, what happens at the day of Pentecost? The tongues of fire come down. Nations that speak different languages, they now, God, this is huge. God divinely makes them understand each other. They are, whatever, they're they're speaking. This always makes people uncomfortable. They're speaking in tongues, right? They are speaking the pure language. And everybody understands it. Everybody's freaked out. Okay? Not only were they speaking the pure language, they were speaking in tongues, right? So people were, they, they, they came out, they, they were freaking out in their bodies. Their, their bodies manifested stuff that, that looked, made them look like they were a bunch of drunk idiots. So people were making fun of them because they were having their religious experience, because they were encountering God. I don't care if people tease me if I experience God. Do you? That's what's going on. So when God divinely scattered at the day of Pentecost, he divinely brought us back together. And this pure language, this pure language isn't just for the Jews. It it says right here in Zephaniah, it is for all nations that we will walk side by side, shoulder by shoulder, in pure unity. Complete contrast to chapter 1 where he says, I'm going to kill everybody. You see the contrast? But it's it's still, it is so important. Why is he going to kill everybody? Because there's sin. Because he's a just God. And the answer is here. Again, it's very, very subtle. We We have to pay attention. On that day, you will not be put to shame. How many people feel shame about some of the stuff that they've done? On that day, you will not be put to shame. Why? Because Jesus was put to shame on the cross. He took your shame away from you. The only reason why it exists is because it's between your ears. It's not between God's ears. He doesn't remember our shame. He's got like spiritual Alzheimer's or something. He doesn't remember the stuff that we've done. We only remember that stuff. You'll not be put to shames for all the wrong that you have what? Done to me. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. I will leave with you the meek and the humble. Now, of course, he's talking about the nation of Judah, but he's also talking about you, the individual. His desire is to strip away pride, that haughty spirit, that that, that attitude that we have that wants to elevate us above other people on on a holy hill. And he wants to leave us. Ready for this? He wants us... He wants to leave us meek and humble. And you might think that meek is a a sissy word. It's, It's furthest from the truth. Jesus ruled through meekness. And the definition of meekness is power under control. Meekness is power under control. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away your punishment. So all that stuff in chapter 1, chapter 2, the Lord's taken it away. And Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jesus has taken away our punishment. We don't have to be punished because Jesus was punished for us. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Jesus is with us. Never again will you fear any harm. would be great? On that day, you will say, Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. Like, like, yeah. You guys are awesome, by the way. Almost every hand was raised during worship. So cool. No limp hands around here. He will take great delight in you. Wait a minute. I thought chapter 1 says that God is angry at me. No. God's angry at sin. He takes great delight in you. You. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Are you anxious? Are you nervous? Are you fretting? Are you freaked out? Just let God quiet you with his love. Allow him to love you. It's so hard to allow somebody to love, isn't it? It's hard enough. It's It's just difficult. Love is a difficult thing. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is unique in all the scriptures. That God is actually rejoicing over us in praise, in singing, and in dance for us. Like if there is, I don't know if this is probably heresy. So don't, don't quote me. But like if God could worship something, he would worship us because he's singing over us. He, you thought you came here to sing to him. Do you realize that he is singing to you right now? He is rejoicing over you, even though you're rejoicing. Hopefully, you realize that, he, that, he, that you are saved solely by his grace and solely by his love. Hopefully, you see that, and that makes you excited. Well, he's, I wonder who the most excited person in the room is. I wish I knew. But just think, like, who got here first? Who was the first person in the sea? Who couldn't wait to get the church to to engage God in worship? Who really understands what that blood-stained cross did for them? Who couldn't wait to hear the word of God opened up? Who's the most excited in the room? God is a million more times excited that you're in the room than you are. God is the most excited guy in the room. Isn't that cool to think about? God doesn't get bored in our presence. He only gets grieved and quenched. So he's rejoicing over us, singing over us. He's going to remove the burdens from us. Chapter 3 is God's true heart. Everything else is contrast. Everything else is dark side of love everything else is hard love but god is love and he's not some dr jekyll and mr hyde he just doesn't love us one moment and get angry at us the next moment he's constant in his love god's not bipolar his love for us is constant his love is the most constant element in the universe, and he's crazy about you, he is fascinated with you, he's rejoicing over you, he's so excited that you're here, wanting to push into something deeper, wanting to push into his presence, wanting to adjust your language, make your language pure, so that you could even understand the heart of God. Have the band and ushers come up to the front. So I think that it all starts with clear communication. Just think about. For those that are married, just think about how difficult it is to communicate with your spouse. You both speak English, but it seems as if you're speaking a foreign language at times. And it's like that with God. It's like that with our prayer lives. We don't understand His language. So I would say my homework for you this morning, if your prayer life is like mine, if it's lacking, if it's wanting, like if you're just kind of going through the motions, if you're counting off your beads. I love Catholics, by the way. Actually, Catholics were probably more advanced in their prayer life than we are. The um, Bible says that we are to worship in spirit and in truth, we are to pray from the very depths of our soul and words that have that are utterances, that are groans, that are moans and we are to pray in the spirit. Uh, Charismatics call that praying in tongues, but that's not don't desire that, well, we desire that, but the, see that's if you focus on that, you'll, it's, gonna, it's gonna mess you up. Say, look, God. I want to get outside of myself in my prayer life. I want to connect with you in pure language. And if you connect with the Lord in pure language, you are actually praying in the tongues of angels. There might not be anything coming out of your mouth. Our uh, our Chinese pastor friend that was here first service, uh, his congregation in China, they worship silently. Young people risking their own lives—50 of them in a room. There is no audible music. They just get together and they sing like this, and that they can't—they can't vocalize it or else they'll get arrested. So it's not an audible. I mean, the audible thing is irrelevant. It is praying that pure language to God, where your spirit and His spirit are intertwined and connected. And that's where the power comes from. That's where the change comes from. That's where the vision comes from. Would you stand with me? We're just going to close in prayer. We're going to give back to the Lord right now. And I just want to encourage you to continue to press on into God's presence. He is very faithful. And he's faithful to save. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God. And then even though that we don't understand your goodness, we don't understand your love. For those of us that have gone through the dark side of love and we didn't understand what was going on and we blamed you for stuff, God, forgive us of that. God, for those of us that went through hard love and we didn't understand what was going on, mature us and grow us. But God, I pray right now that we will, our greatest motivation will be stepping into your presence, into your stepping onto your holy hill with meekness and humility, walking into your great throne room with the ability to communicate with pure language. Pray a blessing on us this week as we move forward. Help us to know where you're at, to watch for your signs, to watch for your wonders. Bless us this week in your name.